You are listening to Big Tent Radio here on Radio Boise. My name is Jen Schneider. I'm your host, and I'm here with my co-host, Jackie Kettler. We are professors in the School of Public Service at Boise State. I'm really excited because we have a guest with us today, Miss Ellen Enderlin, Miss Doctor. <laughs> Dang, Jen. I biff that. <laughs> Doc- rough star. Doctor Ellen Enderlin. All right, Dr. Ellen Enderlin, who is a new assistant professor in geophysics, mm-hmm. Department of Geosciences at Boise State. And I don't know if you've been listening to the show for a while, you heard several months ago we had Dr. Jen Pierce on, and Jen studies wildfire. And you, Ellen, study glaciology. So we have fire and ice. And you and Jen actually work together, teach a course on climate change at Boise State. So we're going to unpack some of that in our show today. We're going to talk about glaciers, what's happening with glaciers, connections to climate change, and the work that you did there. So thank you so much for being here. It's great being here. Thank you. Yeah. So when you try to tell people, like explain to normal people like the rest of us, what glaciology is and what you do, how do you set that up? Um, well, I guess I first I start off by explaining what glaciology means because my sister, who is a veterinarian, she still struggles with the concept of glaciology. She calls it like glacier morology. <laughs> she, she can't really like wrap her head around right. what it actually means. Um, so normally I just explain that really what I am looking at and what I'm really interested in is looking at how glaciers are changing over time. And the really complicated part of that is people often say, okay, well, isn't it pretty self-explanatory? Because like, all right, when the air is warmer, they're going to melt, like they're big ice cubes. But actually glaciers are these huge things of ice that they're so big, they actually flow. They flow under their own weight. And so it's a lot like if you put honey on a table, like you squeezed out a little drop of honey, it would slowly ooze out towards the sides. That's what glaciers are doing. And so it's just snow building up more and more over time. And eventually it packs down and it forms ice and gravity just causes that ice to flow downhill. So it's a lot more complicated than just saying, okay, we changed the temperature, they melt more or less. They're really influenced by the snow that's accumulating, by the temperature, but then also how they're flowing to lower elevations. And then if they flow all the way to the ocean, we have to worry about how the ocean interacts with them too. That's really fascinating. Yeah. So when we see news stories like about um, glaciers in Switzerland disappearing or even those in um, Glacier National Park, Mm -hmm. you're somebody who's able to show the rate of change, the types of change, what that looks like on the ground. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, what I'm really interested in is seeing how they're changing, like how quickly they're changing, basically. And so glaciers around the world are pretty much always changing like they're always responding to changes in their climate but right now they're changing really really quickly and I'm really interested in seeing how their flow changes over time and how that mass a big volume of ice how that's changing but then I'm also interested in seeing what those effects of those changes are on the broader earth system and I'm really interested in how glaciers and oceans interact and it's really complex processes that we have really only started to appreciate in the past like 10 or 15 years or so and by that by interacting like how much it contributes to like the amount of water in the ocean or are there other elements too that you're interested of that connection yeah originally i was told in graduate school of oh glaciology really what you have to do is focus on sea level rise 
Like, just focus on that because that is the point that's going to hit home with people. And it is true. Like, glaciers, as they get smaller, that ice was on land and now it's melted and it goes out into the ocean and it raises sea level. But it's really a lot more complicated than that. And the things that I'm much more concerned with are how when this warm water comes in, the ocean water comes in and melts the glaciers, they're putting fresh and salty water back out into the ocean. Oh. Fresh water, fresh and cold water, sorry. And so when that water gets out there, because it is fresh, it's buoyant. So it sits on top of the, the ocean water below. And it has all these really, really complex things that it causes from that. Um, one of the most major impacts of this is that in the North Atlantic, we normally have this warm, salty water that comes up in the Gulf Stream. And as that gets farther and farther north, it cools off. And eventually it forms sea ice. And sea ice is just ice that's formed from the ocean water. And the sea ice is, is pretty fresh. Like it actually like kicks out the salt when it forms. And that salt stays in the ocean and it makes the water even more dense. And that causes the water to sink to the bottom of the ocean. And that drives this entire global conveyor belt. So we have this global ocean conveyor belt that moves heat from the equator to the poles. And when we're causing more melt in these polar regions, particularly Greenland and Antarctica, we're putting all this fresh water out into the ocean and we're actually disrupting this circulation. And people have really started to appreciate that in the past, I don't know, decade or so, that this is something bigger than just saying, oh, sea level is going up by X millimeters per year. We could also be influencing the climate system by having these glaciers and ice sheets melt. And we're talking specifically about weather impacts then. So I know climate and weather are two different things, but significant changes in climate like that might impact the way we see weather manifesting. Then. Yeah, and that's and that's actually why we see these weird uh, sort of like wacky weather phenomena. A lot of it is because we have these changes in the polar regions, like we are losing sea ice, and that is causing the jet stream to behave in different ways, so a big river of atmospheric circulation, and that actually causes this cold air to spill out from the Arctic more often. So that's why in winter, sometimes we get these really weird cold snaps. People say, oh, there's no global warming. It's really cold. That's actually just like a weather event, and it's happening actually because we have global warming. And I assume that this also can have an impact on like life, like in the in in the ocean, if you're disrupting kind of the type of water mm. and the temperature of water. Yeah, and there are people that have been looking at that. Um, and again, this is another thing where it's like, wow, glaciers have these huge impacts on these systems. Um, but I have a, a colleague that's that works for the USGS up in Alaska, and he's been looking at glacier change all in Alaska, and he's looking at rivers that have glaciers that feed them and then rivers that don't and he told me this summer when he was out doing his work that he actually saw there are these huge changes going on where these glacier fed rivers have a huge amount of water coming out of them because the glaciers are melting it was really really hot in alaska this year too so they had all this water coming out of these rivers and that water's full of sediment because the glaciers sort of like grind up the rock that's beneath them and then the ones that didn't have glaciers, they had really low flow conditions. Like there was so little snow melt left later in the summer that the, the rivers were just really low. And he said, actually salmon were like backing up in the ocean, trying to get up these rivers to spawn. And they just couldn't, and they can't just like go over to the glacier fed rivers because 
we have all these differences in the sediment and things like that. So it's it's, it's hard to just like have species adapt to that that quickly. It's hard to even express the um, drama of those yeah. changes, yeah. how significant and how fast that's happening. And the fact that we can sort of just see it with the mm-hmm. naked eye is, is remarkable to me. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more with Dr. Enderlin about climate change and how that is impacting the behavior of glaciers and maybe hear from you a little bit about how you do your work, too. Okay. Stay tuned. You're listening to Big Tent Radio here on Radio Boise. Hi, this is Cecil Baldwin from Welcome to Night Vale. You're tuned in to Radio Boise, your source for music and public affairs programming in Boise and beyond. Hey there, you're listening to Big Tent Radio here on Radio Boise. I'm your host, Jen Schneider. I'm here with my co-host, Jackie Kettler. We're professors in the School of Public Service at Boise State. And our guest today is Dr. Ellen Enderlin. She's an assistant professor in geophysics at Boise State, and she studies glaciology. So, Ellen, we've been talking with you about the sort of rapidly changing behaviors of glaciers, um, especially as the climate is changing. And one thing I wondered about, I think people probably are curious about, is how you do your work i think a lot of times people think about natural scientists kind of going out in the field like geologists for Mm -hmm. example um is that what you're doing are you going to glaciers in the antarctic or in greenland and sort of like taking physical measurements how do you do your work i've been really lucky that i have gotten to go to a lot of amazing places and i actually got into glaciology through doing field work when i was an undergraduate that I had an undergraduate advisor who she was new. She was the only woman at the time in the department. And she picked other women, so myself and someone else in our class that were doing well in the class to go to Peru with her to look at these glaciers that are super high up in the Andes. And I had basically never left the country before. So what this an was, amazing opportunity. Amazing. And at that point, I was, I was totally hooked. Um, but I've gone to all these great places, but the really interesting part about glaciology is that most people aren't really sitting there all the time. I mean, you can go out and you can make some field observations for maybe like a couple days or a couple weeks or something like that. Or you can go and put out a piece of equipment and have it monitor something for you. You can look at like the weather. Um, You can use radar, which are long radio waves that penetrate through the ice. You can put something out that will send radio waves down and they'll bounce back up from the rock beneath. So you can see how the thickness of the ice is changing. There are lots of different things that you can sit out there and have them make observations when you're not there. Because quite frankly, it's not really enjoyable to be like <laughs> sitting out at a glacier. I've camped in Antarctica for a couple weeks. It's not, it's not that fun of an experience. Is it a little cold and a little desolate? Sort of what you would think or? Yeah. It was probably about minus 20 when we were there. it's a little cold. (laughs) Um, And like pancake flat to the point that you started Mm -hmm. thinking that you saw changes in elevation, but you didn't. (laughs) And it was was a rough time. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really happy that I did it. But a lot of what we end up doing in glaciology is so collect these observations, sometimes when you can get out in the field, um, and you need certain observations from field work. Like, those radar data that I said. You, you need to actually go out in the field and collect these sorts of observations. We can't tell how thick the ice is otherwise. But then really what most people do is we spend a lot of time looking either at satellite data sets, so looking at satellite images of the Earth, which are essentially like just photos of the Earth, or 
using models to simulate how the glaciers are changing over time. And all of these things are complementary. Like you have to weave in these observations in the field with the data that you have from the satellites and the modeling. Like that's how we're getting a more holistic picture of what's going on with the glaciers. That's interesting. I think one thing that you noted was kind of you got involved in this path because of your undergraduate professor, which really speaks to how much that kind of mentorship or opportunities can really make a difference, right? It set you on the path to where oh, you yeah. are today, which is really cool. Yeah, and I even even if I don't really have a lot of field work going on, it is hard to fund field work too because it's very expensive. I mean, when we were in Greenland once, I was told something like a helicopter was $16,000 an hour. Whoa. So <laughs> couple hours that's that's a whole grad student i mean that you have to really think about the balance of do you really need all these field observations or what can you do with and without them and i i still think though it's incredibly valuable to go out and actually see these systems that you're studying because otherwise you just you have no sense of scale like you can look at things from satellites and be like well that's five kilometers across but like you don't you don't really know what that means until you're there and you look at it and you're like, wow, this is huge. You just you just don't get that feel for it. Does it give you any sense of urgency? I mean, I'm sort of going back to what we talked about with climate effects and, and how glaciers are responding. And it must be like I'm always curious about how scientists sort of manage their emotions around it, because I think it must be, again, sort of shocking or breathtaking to see the rapidity with which these systems are changing in the face of climate change and is it so is field work sort of one way in which you it becomes does it become more urgent or felt for you i don't know if going in the field makes you get the sense of urgency but i do think looking at the changes over time like the scientist perspective of i'm looking at things over you know decadal time scales and you can really see that things are changing and you can see patterns emerge when you start looking at like a large number of glaciers. And so to me that it, it really is sort of depressing if you think about what I am studying. And my mom has made jokes of, are we all going to be sitting in Antarctica with a fan pointed at the last little bit of ice there? I'm like, fortunately, no, I don't think that that's, it's going to be that bad. Um, but you do really get a sense of how quickly things are changing because we can look at features that were left over from different periods of time when the glaciers were bigger and we get a sense of how quickly they changed in the past and it is just this amazing widespread change going on at a really unprecedented rate and to have that sort of feeling yeah it's it's you know it's a sort of like an icky feeling of you're you're studying something that's unprecedented but not in a good way mm-hmm. so you're somebody who does um a lot of science communication and i think that's so exciting and I admire that so much. Is there something that you wish people would understand about glaciers or about glaciers and climate change? Like something you hear misrepresented or that you wish people sort of had in their pocket in terms of being increasing their understanding about this issue? I guess one of the the big things is that in the past couple of years I have noticed that when glaciers make the news, it tends to be because like an iceberg is broken off of something Hmm. and it is always this whoa this huge iceberg broke off and sometimes it is really important like we've had these episodes where we have absolutely massive loss of ice at like one moment and this is a sign of a glacier's demise Um, so it's it is really important that we're looking at this and we're saying this is this is huge and this is really impactful and important but then we have these things where uh, in the news i think it was about a week or so ago the amory ice shelf in antarctica lost this big iceberg and 
it actually was nothing that's unusual for this location. Like it, it goes through periods where it doesn't break off any pieces of ice. And then all of a sudden it breaks off a huge piece. And let this, it's just part of its sort of like natural cycle that this glacier goes through. So I think it's, what I really want people to get is that there are some things that are exceptional, but then there are also some things that are sort of eh, more normal. And I would love it if we were focusing more on just the exceptional things and not just things that are like, you know, a cool video or like a cool storyline or something like that. Yeah, that is such a challenge with climate change, right? When everything feels like an emergency and to figure out what's sort of part of the natural rhythm of things versus what really is urgent and, and scary. Which is why I think like the long-term data analysis mm-hmm. is so important, right? Because otherwise you can't tell what's unusual or normal. Yeah, but yeah. by studying systems over time, you can start to get a feel like, okay, now we're having more unusual activity as opposed to a normal cycle. And I do think it's really important, too, because scientists are sometimes, especially ones that study the impacts of climate change, are accused of being sensationalists. And I've actually had colleagues say that study past glacier changes that like glaciologists are sensationalists. You're always focusing on how rapid things are changing now. And and yeah, it's because we're seeing things that are at this rapid pace, but at the same time, I think there is an appreciation among the scientific community that like some things are more normal and that we should be placing the emphasis on the things that really do matter. And but that's I don't think that's always conveyed when like a news story just gets picked up. And, and they just run with it and it's this big thing. And it's like, well, we don't all actually agree that that's, you know, you're sort of blowing up something and then it'll make people think, oh, well, maybe something else that is really important later isn't quite as important as it actually is. You're listening to Dr. Ellen Enderlin. She's our guest here today on Big Tent Radio. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. Hi, this is Bree, psychic death witch. And this is Emily, regular witch. <laughs> this is Taco Cat. And we're Taco Cat. <laughs> You're listening to Radio Boise 89.9 and 93.5 FM Community Radio for Boise and beyond. Welcome back. You're listening to Big Tent Radio here at Radio Boise. My name is Jen Schneider. I'm your host. I'm here with my co-host Jackie Kettler and our guest Ellen Enderlin, who's a glaciologist at Boise State. Ellen, you recently moved here from Maine. How long were you living in Maine? Oh, I lived in Maine. I guess it ended up being about six years. And did you go to school there or you were teaching there? No, I was research faculty. You were research faculty. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you were working on glaciers while you were there, Mm -hmm. obviously. Okay. And so how has the move been for you? So far, it's been really great. I was told to prepare myself that I was moving at the worst time of the year. I arrived here in May and everyone said, oh. In July, it gets so hot and smoky, and that'll last for a while. And it really wasn't bad here at no, all. No, we had such no, we a mellow summer. summer. Yeah, totally. So it's been really great. Um, I think everyone has been super friendly in my department, and everyone is actually really interested in hearing my opinion on things. And um, it's it's really sort of like a, a nice place to be. Everyone seems very happy in the department, which is also good. And I think it's because we have such great outdoors activities that we can do Mm -hmm. in Boise and so people in geosciences like to get outside and everyone really does that. Oh that's fantastic. So you have been co-teaching this uh, class with Dr. Jen Pierce who's also in your uh, department at Boise State on climate change and it's Mm -hmm. a course that's offered to freshmen Mm -hmm. Um, and can you talk to us a little bit about that experience and how you to approach that class and any challenges or opportunities you've seen as you've um, been doing that 
Yeah, so this is a university foundations class. So it is an intro level class that is meant for freshmen. And there are lots of different university foundations, 100 classes, but this one is in particular is on climate change. And so it's one of many options they can choose. Yes. The students get to choose it. Okay. And so there, there is another class offered by someone else in my department, um, Brittany Brand, that she's teaching a class on hazards. But there are classes spanning a huge spectrum of topics. And the class has 100 students in it. And these students all selected to be in the class or I don't know, maybe the other classes filled up and they got stuck in it, but they all decided to be in this class. And we are looking at climate change from a lot of different perspectives where we had a bunch of different speakers come in the first couple of weeks for one of the classes. And they focused primarily on physical sciences. So what is going on? How do we know that climate change is happening? What are the effects? Um, sort of looking at all these different systems and then Thursdays, so those would be on Tuesdays, and then on Thursdays we have discussion groups that sometimes we have them do hands-on activities, sometimes we have them work on posters, sometimes we have them just have a discussion. Um, so it's a huge range of different things that they do on Thursdays and we'll continue that. But now we've moved into the second half of the course where we're talking more about um, like policy and business and things like that. So we're not just focusing on the physical sciences, we're trying to take a more holistic approach. And this class has been taught by people in other departments as well in the past, sort of indicating the fact that it is not just a physical science issue, that it does have impacts across a huge spectrum of, I don't know, aspects of our society, basically. In the class, do you also cover or talk about like attempts to address issues or try, you know, like whether it's governmental policy to write, you know, regulations? Do you cover kind of attempts to, you know, make things better? <laughs> yeah, we actually had a speaker just come in this week where he was talking about the different ways that we could approach climate change. And he had the analogy of it was the difference between a boxer or a hiker. And so it's either we can really like grit our teeth and fight against it and say like, oh, it's not happening and we're just we're just going to be really stubborn. Or we can say, let's all go on this journey together and try to figure out ways to address the problem. And we had someone from Idaho Power come in and talk about how they're trying to phase out um, basically anything that's non-green energy over the course of the next 15 or so years. And it's a really progressive plan that they have. And I admire that they're doing that. And I think it's great that the students are getting this broader perspective on the whole issue. It's remarkable to me hearing you talk because I have taught climate change and climate change related issues for a really long time at Boise State and at my former university. And it's only this year that a majority of Americans, in fact, a pretty big majority now believes climate change is happening, that it's human caused and that it's posing a pretty, pretty big threat. And so it's exciting to know that you can just teach that class in the way that you're teaching it. Um, I know in the past when I've taught about climate change, I've sort of had to teach about the debate. Not mm -hmm. that not that both sides were equal, but that this debate exists and that it's very partisan and how we approach. I had to be very careful and strategic with how I talked about it. It doesn't sound like you. It sounds like you're being careful and holistic and broad, but maybe you have a little more freedom to sort of like dig into it and explore it in a deeper way. And we do to, to some regard. I think most of the students in the class recognize that climate change is happening and that people are the cause of it. I mean, it's the Industrial Revolution was made possible by the fact that we were started burning fossil fuels. And that's been great 
but it has also had some real consequences on the Earth system. And, and so I think the students all recognize that. Most of them actually did not get any climate change education when they were in school. And these students, yeah, these students come from all different schools, and they pretty much all said they really didn't get that. But they still see that it's happening. And so I, I don't think that we, we have to sort of walk on eggshells and, and approaching the topic with them. It's more talking about, okay, what are the effects and, and what are things that people can do? They have a project where they're actually saying, here's a problem and here are some of the solutions that we, we can like implement to s- help solve this problem. Mm-hmm. And so they are trying to look at it as, yes, there is a problem. Now let's think of solutions rather than, is there even a problem? That makes me feel so hopeful. I know uh, Matt Nesbet, who's a communication scholar, he published a piece earlier this year that said that the debate over climate change is over. Um, and of course, there are still folks out there, including our own president of the United States, who who believe that climate change is a hoax or um, isn't really happening. But I think, by and large, that, that debate for public opinion has passed. So that's really exciting, I think, and a cause for hope. And really points to the need for thinking about how we address this, which is the the policy and the politics side of it. And I did actually look up, I thought this was really interesting, I looked up the coverage of climate change in the debates, the presidential debates, and in the last election cycle, there was no talk of climate change. And I remember even thinking about it at the time and being like, this is really horrific. This is something that's this huge global problem and it's going to affect everyone's lives and it's just not even talked about. Whereas now it hasn't received as much attention as, let's say, like healthcare, but it actually has received a lot of attention from the political candidates. And I, I think that there is this recognition of we, we really do need to act on things. We should stop debating the fact of whether it's happening or not. It's pretty obvious that it is if you look at our weather systems and just look at the data over time. But now it's the what are we actually going to do to fix this problem? Yeah, and in that last Democratic debate, there were no climate change questions, but the um, interviewers received, or the uh, debate moderators received a lot of pushback mm-hmm. on that. Yeah, And we had our first sort of climate change candidate, Jay Inslee, is no longer in the race, but I think these are signs that things are changing, mm-hmm. and that's, that's heartening. I want to thank you so much for coming on Big Ten Radio today. Yeah. It's been wonderful talking with you. If people want to learn more about your work, can they do they find you at Boise State's website? Is that the best place? Yeah, to they can go to the geosciences website. All my contact info's there, and then I also have links to my personal page where they can learn more about the opportunities that I have for students and things like that. Awesome. And if you want to follow what we're doing here on Big Tent Radio, you can find us on Facebook. We've gotten much better about actually updating that, <laughs> thanks to our new co-host, Charlie Hunt. Thanks, Charlie. He's doing a great job. He's with doing that. a great job. And you can also find us on Twitter at Big Tent Radio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.